Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. It is Tuesday, February 25th, 2020. We're broadcasting live from Charleston, South Carolina, site of tonight's Democratic debate. Uh, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, we'll break down uh, how critical the stakes are. Black voters, for the first time, get their say in this year's election. We'll break it all down right here. It's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go.
All right, folks, in two and a half hours, Democrats will take the stage here in Charleston, South Carolina for tonight's debate airing on CBS. I'm a cast on BET. It is a critical one, of course. Black voters, for the first time during this whole primary season, uh, get their say here in South Carolina. Upwards of 60% of black of voters in the Democratic primary in South Carolina are African-American. Uh, based upon uh, polling uh, numbers, uh, Vice President Joe Biden is leading, but Senator Bernie Sanders is coming on very strong. Uh, surprisingly, for Bunch of people. Billionaire Tom Steyer uh, is doing very well with black voters. So the question is, uh, will there be a standout performance tonight? Sir Elizabeth Warren, okay, she needs to really close the gap. Did very well last debate in Nevada. Let's see what happens tonight. Let's ask, let's find out with a couple members of Congress right now. Congresswoman Johanna Hayes from Connecticut, also Congressman Donald Payne Jr. from New Jersey. Glad to see both of you here. What do you want to hear tonight? And do you expect tonight's debate and on CBS, but sponsored by the Congressional Black Caucus Institute, uh, will we see issues black folks care about front and center for two hours versus a couple of questions? Well, I'm, it's great to be here, and I think that you can rest assured that tonight's debate will be centered around the issues that are of concern to the African-American community. I think for the first time we see an electorate that's 60% African-American, and while everyone, we all stand for issues that affect everybody, I think there are some things that, that are specific to certain communities, and tonight I think for the first time we'll hear things that are very important to the black community, you know, critical issues that we've heard over and over that the African-American community cares about. Uh, Congressman Payne, your thoughts? Well, in order for someone to be successful in this uh, campaign here in South Carolina, you need to address those issues. They, it, we've made it clear to them that what we want to hear tonight are issues that are going to impact the majority of the population in South Carolina, henceforth around the nation. One of the things that uh, obviously is important to African-Americans, economic issues, also with this administration, a rollback in civil rights, uh, but also voting has not come up a lot in these debates. Also, the impact on the federal courts, uh, what Republicans are doing with the federal judges they're placing as well, that has a direct impact on the concerns of black folks. Well, I think you just hit it. But on all those things, I don't think we can lose sight of the fact that if we address them in the African-American community, that impact is felt in every community. So we have to ask those really difficult questions, have those really critical conversations. That's the only way we move forward. And, you know, uh, this election is consequential to two generations of people moving forward with the appointments that the next president of the United States will be able to make lifetime appointments on every level, from the appellate all the way up to the Supreme Court. So for that reason, it is an impactful and crucial campaign and election for African Americans. Obviously, you a teacher of the year. Education is important as well. What do you want to hear from these candidates when it comes to the issue of education? I think education has to be a part of any campaign moving forward. I was so disheartened in the last presidential cycle where there was so little attention paid to not just outcomes for students, but investments in the profession. I want to hear how do you plan to invest in the profession? How do you plan to invest in the future of education? So that's the answer to everything. Any problem you have, my answer involves education. So there has to be an investment on the front end. Not all of these, you know, responses on the back end that really are reactionary. All right. Well, we're certainly looking forward to hearing yeah. what the candidates say tonight, so I look forward to being inside. Thank Thanks Thank a lot. I appreciate it. Thank, Thank you very much. Thanks a bunch. Uh, folks, we're here, of course, like I say, in Charleston, South Carolina. We're actually in the district uh, of State Representative Gilliard. Representative Gilliard? 
Representative, come on. Yes. See? All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. Step on in here. Uh, we're here in your district. Uh, what do you want to hear from these candidates tonight? How we turn out the vote. I mean, that's the solution to anything. As far as all our problems in this country, getting rid of the tyrant in office, we have to turn out the vote. Just but, like but, but you, but Obama you, ran. But you have to, though, deal with the issues as well. And black folks, uh, of course, uh, a recent poll uh, came out where one-third of African Americans in that poll uh, say Democrats are not—first of all, one-third want another candidate. More than 50 percent say Democrats are not addressing their issues. They are. Believe me, I'm a proud Democrat, and I know that we are. Our problem is we need some of our Republicans, brothers and sisters, to join us to help us solve these issues. But, 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 but again, according to Adrian Shropshire's group, more than 50 percent of African Americans poll. The poll was done by Cornell Belcher's firm, say Democrats are not properly addressing the concerns of African Americans. What must these candidates tonight to, uh, say on that debate stage that, that causes black people to say, OK, they hear us? They should do what Bernie say do. Let it be known it's about us, we the people. This is not about I, the party. This is about the people. And I am a Bernie, uh, Bernie supporter, and I'm a proud Bernie supporter. Been it since 1988 when he first endorsed Jesse Jackson for president. I've been with him then, I'm going to stick with him now, because he's the man for the job. Now, we, but when you talk about that, people still want to hear a very specific economic plan for African Americans. Uh, they want to hear a housing plan as well and some of those issues. And so uh, do you believe that these candidates are saying what is specific to black folks in order to, to, in order to get them to say, OK, you know what? I feel as if they're actually listening to what I care about. Yes, I do. Not all of the candidates are addressing that issue as such, but there are some that are. And I think those are the ones that we need to listen to. I mean, you're in the middle of my district here that I proudly represent, and we're trying to address housing issues, homelessness, education, jobs. So, yes, some are doing that. Okay. All right. We appreciate it. Yes, Thanks sir. a lot. Good Absolutely. Right. Again, folks, you hear folks out here who are protesting. You got uh, Biden supporters, uh, Bernie Sanders supporters, Medicare for all supporters. There are various people here. Uh, at some of the previous debates, you've also had people who are also putting pressure uh, on uh, the Democratic candidates to speak to the issue of school choice and charter schools. Uh, Howard Fuller, of course, he's been uh, they were there in Houston at the TSU debate. They were there in Ohio as well in Atlanta. Uh, Howard is here right now. Uh, Howard, since you started uh, this whole issue in terms of really trying to put pressure on these candidates. As everybody know, I'm a, I'm a school choice supporter as well. Uh, are you hearing what you want to hear, or do you believe that uh, the candidates are still not really addressing this critical issue? They're still not addressing this issue. And when they do address it, they oppose what our families need. I've been down here since Thursday, and I've been visiting with black people. I went to a charter school rolling that serves about 280 poor black children in a housing project. All of the teachers in that school are retired black educators. And I heard their voices about why charter schools are important. On Sunday, I spoke at Ebenezer AME Church, and I talked about this need to have options. The school that I'm talking about came out of Ebenezer. So what's clear is these people, man, are still not addressing the needs of black people. And so what needs to be done uh, to get them uh, to do so? Of course, uh, in previous debates, Senator Cory Booker was on stage. He spoke up in support of charter schools. Uh, but, of course, he's out of the race and some of the other candidates who indeed were supporters. Right. Well, the thing is, well, we have to continue to be present. 
and we got to continue to be in their face. We need more people like you who are going to tell the truth about what black people really want to hear, not only about education, but about a whole bunch of other issues. And these people are not addressing these issues. Uh, and are, are you hopeful? First of all, you got Super Tuesday coming up, Florida. That was a huge issue in Andrew Gillum's uh, campaign. 18% of black women supported Ron DeSantis over Andrew, Andrew Gillum. Are you hopeful that that will begin to pick up? You know what? I'm not hopeful, to be honest with you. But what I do want to say is these people better wake up or what's going to happen is they're going to nominate someone who's going to get crushed by Trump. And so at some point in time, they're going to have to recognize they cannot win this election just with the teachers' union. All right. Powerful. We appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. All right. Again, folks, uh, there are going to be a number, a number of things that come up. As I said, this debate is being sponsored by the Congressional Black Caucus Institute. It's airing on CBS. Uh, so the question really, really is, uh, what, are, what are the issues going to come up? Or will the moderators, uh, two African-American moderators, uh, you have Gail King, uh, who was one of those moderators, uh, and Bill Whitaker from CBS. Uh, the question is, uh, will our issues be front and center, or will they get ignored? like they have in uh, the past. I want to bring in, of course, my panel, um, uh, Melek Abdul, Republican strategist, Kelly Bethea, communication strategist, Michael Brown, former vice chair, DNC Finance Committee. Michael, I want to start with you. Uh, this is a huge, huge state, obviously, where for, for black voters. Uh, and you would think that tonight's debate will put them front and center. I'm not necessarily sure. Hopefully the folks at CBS uh, won't just ask on, you know, a race question uh, or two. They're actually going to go in-depth talking about black housing and economics, African-American businesses, questions that are specific to African-Americans. Well, you're right, Roland, and, and I'm glad you're down there. And that's one of the great things about Roland Martin Unfiltered is you go to the places where people matter, especially black folks. So thank you for doing what you're doing. Um, you know, it is, a, it is a big night, and obviously Saturday is, uh, is even bigger because people obviously get a chance to vote. And I don't necessarily think every single solitary question has to be a black issue because other issues also impact the black community on a global scheme. So it should be a kind of a balance between issues related to the African-American community and then issues, what, black folks don't care about terrorism? Black folks don't care about the economy? Of course they do. So it should be a, some kind of balance relative to how the questioners or the panelists ask uh, the candidates. Sorry, K Kelly, I want balance. Here's why. I look at all these other debates, and the bottom line is, you know what, maybe that was a question or a couple of questions. Uh, bottom line, for me, if this is going to be a CBC Institute debate, this is what I expect. I expect, look, when there's a debate on Univision, guess what? A hell of a whole lot of questions pertain to the concerns of Latinos. And so that's what I want to see tonight. Your thoughts? I agree with you, especially, like you said, the CBC is uh, founding, or the CBC Institute, rather, is uh, sponsoring this debate. I feel like, considering that there are several debates, there are not too many debates left after this, this is really like our only chance to really put black issues on the map and to really get granular with those black issues on a national scale. So I want to hear about criminal justice 
reform, but I don't want to hear just the phrase criminal justice reform. I want to hear about what their plans are regarding uh, collaborating with uh, Mississippi, uh, the state of Mississippi, and the Parchman um, Penitentiary, and how they're going to either tear down the building or renovate the building to make sure that these prisoners are having, you know, adequate human rights actually implemented. Instead of just hearing about health care, I want to hear about black maternal death rates actually increasing in this country and us being the only first world country, so to speak, to have this kind of predicament. I want to see and hear how they're going to plan those things. I want to hear about the economy, but not just about any part of the economy. I want to hear about affordable housing. I want to hear about plans to close the wage gap between blacks and whites and black women and white women and all those things. We can get granular today if uh, the moderators do their job and if the uh, candidates were actually prepared well. Uh, I'll tell you this, uh, um, Malik, I remember the last time uh, th there was a debate here in South Carolina, and you know, there were a few questions, but pretty much a lot of concerns of black folks have pretty much got ignored because the moderators were asking these very general questions. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, I, look, as somebody who knows how to ask questions, there is a way to speak about broad issues. If you want to go international, these candidates should be asked about Donald Trump uh, limiting people from Nigeria and other African countries mm -hmm. from coming into uh, this country. They should be being asked about uh, countries like uh, Nigeria, in terms of we get significant amounts of oil, what is happening with policies there. Also, I so you can go international in that way. You could talk about, of course, what's happening with Haiti and other nations. But also, uh, we have to deal with uh, the coronavirus and the impact as well that, that can hit anybody and how you have a Trump administration really having difficult times even asking, answering questions about even Republicans in the U.S. Senate. Now, I'm going to play something a little bit later. Again, this to me is where we want to hear what we uh, care about because we're used to having our issues being put on the black back burner and other folks' issues, namely white Americans, being front and center. I think I, I'm going to just uh, agree in part with both Kelly said and what Mike said. I think that, you know, on the front end, I know I am not expecting there to be an entire debate about black issues, but I am expecting them to be able to go in depth on the issue. I can't think of the gentleman, the last gentleman that you were inter interviewing, but I definitely hope. Howard that Fuller. Yeah, Mr. Fuller, I definitely hope that the candidates and the moderators ask them to really dig deep on this whole notion of school choice. You know, we really haven't had that type of debate, I don't think, in this entire cycle at all. And so I think asking questions like that, we can really dig in deep. I agree with affordable housing. And in fact, if you really want to know, if you, I, I think it was last week when the young lady, um, they, the organization that came out with a blueprint of black issues, I can't think of what the young lady's name was, but if you want to know what questions to ask, well, that's a pretty good guide on some of the things that we're interested in. Again, I don't expect them to go through every single issue, and there will be people who will be upset that X number, X issue wasn't selected as far as, you know, X, X issue versus Y issue wasn't chosen, but I do think that they can have a really robust discussion on issues that matter to us most. So, yes, things like Senate, not just, um, you know, Kelly was talking about prison reform, that type of thing is great. But sentencing reforms, talking about, and me, just as a Republican, I want to hear how they're willing to work with the other side to get things done, as opposed to what we normally hear is that the other side is evil, and so we just need to come in there and fix everything. I think there needs to be a discussion about how we move forward outside of the politics, and so that's really what I'm looking for. In addition... Well... 
No, go well, first of all, Malik, let's be real. Let's be real clear. <coughs> There have been more than 300 bills that have been passed in the House, many of them bipartisan bills that McConnell has even taken up in the Senate. So you have examples where Democrats have actually worked together with Republicans, but you have Republicans in the Senate, like Mitch McConnell, who want to move forward on those bills. And so let's just be clear, that's actually happened. i got to ask you all this question here. I said before the last debate that was in Nevada that Senator Elizabeth Warren and Vice President Joe Biden needed to crush it in the Nevada debate. They did. What do you expect to happen tonight? So much of the fire was targeted at Bloomberg. At some point, Michael, these Democratic candidates are going to have to take on Senator Bernie Sanders and knock him down a peg because he is clearly the front runner, winning by huge margins in Nevada, coming on strong in South Carolina and polling well in the 15 Super Tuesday states. And so you would think that they are not going to ignore him this time and only focus on Bloomberg. I think you're probably right, Roland. You'll probably see that tonight. And I think you'll see also Bloomberg taking a couple shots uh, here and there as well. But I do think you'll see the focus on Senator Sanders. But the math is the math. Until, or if they even consider it, until Mayor Pete and Amy Klobuchar consider, and Tom Steyer consider moving out of the race, we're going to have the moderates continuing to split the numbers and Bernie's, or Senator Sanders, excuse me, pathway is going to be much easier. And if you believe some of the folks on the Hill that think that Senator Sanders on top of the ticket actually also hurts down ballot, then you could see some interesting things coming through the summer and possibly at the convention, especially if they get to the second ballot at the convention where superdelegates can play a role. <clears throat> Um, Melek, one of the things that, again, we talk about when we talk about this, um, uh, this debate and then what's going to happen, again, I go back to when you look at the targeting of the front runner, they really did not go after uh, Sanders uh, in the last debate. They got to do it this time because, look, you got to knock him down. You can't just simply give him another free pass. Last debate, 20 million folks watched it. Right. Yeah, so I expect them to actually go after Bernie this time. We, I, it made sense to really go after Bloomberg in the last debate simply because he was the story of the day. So a lot of people were talking about how much support he's getting, and he is getting a lot of support from many black people across the country, mayors specifically, but I expect them to definitely go after Bernie it, but let's be clear, they've done this before. So Bernie has been the target before. I expect them to definitely go after Bernie tonight, and I expect Bernie to respond as he had every single time people have gone after him. But he's the, t he's the target tonight, not Joe Biden, definitely um, Bernie Sanders, even though I'm still expecting Joe Biden to pull out a win in South Carolina. Let's game this out, uh, Kelly. Look, I think if the moderators tonight do their job... If they do their job, they question Mike Bloomberg about stop and frisk, about him opposing a settlement for the Central Park Five. They question Vice President Joe Biden about the 1994 crime bill. They question Bernie Sanders about voting for the 94 crime bill. They question Judge about black arrest in his city for marijuana. And they question Amy Klobuchar in the case of a black man uh, who, of course, uh, was sent to prison as well. If I'm on that stage, and if I'm Elizabeth Warren, and if I'm Tom Steyer, and they don't do it, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bring it up. Because I think those are the two people who don't have, the, frankly, the criminal justice baggage that the other candidates do. To me, that's how you also make a move to advance yourself on a debate stage and set yourself apart. 
No, I definitely agree with you there. Um, I think people will be a little bit surprised at how much uh, popularity Steyer has um, in South Carolina. I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, how Steyer has actually been gaining ground in South Carolina because he has been saturating their media with political ads for months. So when you talk about his relationship with the state and with the constituents therein, especially the black community, that's exactly where he went when he went to South Carolina. He has been... Um, really just trying to uh, hone in on black people in South Carolina for months. So I wouldn't be surprised if Steyer's even a favorite. I don't know if he would win South Carolina, but it, I think he would be further up on, on the uh, placement sheet than we might anticipate. Regarding Warren, again, I agree with you. I wouldn't be surprised if we have another moment with her, how she grilled uh, Bloomberg, if she grills Biden or Sanders the same way. Um, but again, with Biden in South Carolina, he's actually taking the lead right now. So I would actually not necessarily go after Bernie Sanders full throttle. I would also go after Biden as well, because there still is a chance that he will take that state. And knowing that chance is very viable, I would go after him as well. Hey, Roland, I just can I, can I just say, uh, Mike? Okay, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's weak. Yeah, I just wanted to, yeah, I just wanted to say very quickly. I don't think that that's a as far as attacking Biden or Bernie on the crime bill. I. I honestly don't think that's a dog that really hunts nowadays. Warren can go after him, but the reality is is that the first black president chose Joe Biden with his history voting for the criminal justice, um, um, the um, 1994 bill, crime bill. So, yeah, she can make the attack, but I just don't think it's something that's really going to stick with Joe Biden for any, for any reason. Actually... I think Actually, I think you're wrong. And the reason why, because again, in, in all of these debates, in fact, that, in, in the last debate in Nevada, they had this one moment <clears throat> where they were going back and forth on criminal justice reform and nobody questioned Biden on it. The reality is you still have to force Biden to answer the question, how can you stand here and say you're going to do this, 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 when you were the author of the bill that played a critical role when it came to mass incarceration? You have to force him to answer the question. Same, and you Roland, can't just give somebody a pass because it is an issue. And Roland, I'll tell you what also, what other dog may hunt is they've also given Senator Sanders a pass, except for one time Vice President Biden mentioned it on his record with the NRA. Every person up on that stage has an F rating with the NRA except Senator Sanders. Sanders. So it seems to me they need to hit him on his relationship with the NRA as well. Yeah, absolutely, and that's, that's the point. I mean, the, the bottom line is this here. Look, one of the mistakes that C. Elizabeth Warren made, frankly, was that she was running this unity sort of campaign. No. Okay, you unify the party after you win the nomination. Okay, you have to win the nomination. And this whole idea, you can play nice, and you know, I don't really want to go after somebody. Okay, fine. Guess what? You're going to keep coming in fourth and fifth place. At some point on that stage, you have to separate yourself from someone else. And you have, must challenge them, and you must go after them on an issue like that. I believe that as Senator Elizabeth Warren, if she does that, I believe, and again, I said this before in Nevada. It wasn't going to show up in Nevada, and it's not going to show up in South Carolina. But if there is a time for her to make a move, it's to go back to being Elizabeth Warren, we've always known. And to me, that's an issue that Biden cannot try to dance himself out of. Bloomberg can't dance around it. She didn't do it last time, but I would turn to him and I would say, I need to understand how can you, Mike Bloomberg, be on the same side of Donald Trump when it came to the Central Park Five 
when it came to their uh, innocence, and then you fought their settlement, and the only reason they got a settlement was because Bill de Blasio was the mayor. That, to me, you have to go there. Otherwise, why in the hell are you running? Yeah, I, I, now, Roland, I told, I agree with you on Bloomberg, but I just think that attacking Biden for something that happened 26 years ago, sure, it's a valid point of attack, but I just don't know how far you go with that. So she attacks, she attacks Joe Biden. You, you, easy, you, you go with it as far as you can, because even though that was 26 years ago, it still resonates today. Right, so I, I totally but get But you don't, but you, here's the deal. Okay, President, in, in, in the perfect example, in the last debate, what did Joe Biden do? I passed this. I passed this. I passed this. Don't forget, I passed this. And somebody should say, and guess what? You also passed a 94 crime bill. Right. See, again, you're trying... You're trying to go after your opponents. You don't give them a pass. No, I, to I totally get that, but Biden has answered that before. Hillary Clinton has answered that before. Uh, his actually, actually, guess what? And she, it, it, hit, it, it hurt her big time, and Biden hasn't answered it. And when he's given the answer, it's been a rather weak answer. Mm -hmm. No, I, I think... It's I, not been a strong answer. I, I, told, I think that he should have a good answer, but once he gives that answer and says something like, if, essentially, if we know then what we... If we knew then what we know now, I apologize. It's something that I've worked on since then to XYZ. There's really no place else for Elizabeth Warren to go. I personally, I think that Elizabeth Warren probably should be looking to drop out out of this. I expect her to have a very commanding debate performance, just as she did in Nevada. But I don't expect her to, I don't, I don't expect her to move in the polls at all, because I, I just think that she's going to be out after this. I don't think it's necessarily a point that is moved, you know, with, Warren, when you said that Warren could uh, talk to, uh, you know, attack Biden on this and basically be like, oh, well, he said something, move on. I'm thinking back to 2016 when Trump was oh, all over Hillary Clinton about the emails. She answered that ad nauseum, went to a hearing and actually answered it on the record ad nauseum. And yet, and still, we are still talking about her emails to this day, five years later, and it's a moot point. But people actually didn't vote for her because what was the message? But her emails, her emails, her emails. So it doesn't matter whether or not the point has already been addressed as long as you keep honing in on that negative point, it will make an impact. So it's not a bad strategy for Warren to be like, hey, remember 1994? Hey, remember 1994? I know that's what you said, but still, 1994 still exists, and guess what? This happened because of what? 1994. So it, it, can, it can have momentum if it's played right. It can have momentum if it's, you know, in the strategy to actually make her bump up in the polls. But if again, if you only say it one time and be like, well, he just answered it, guess we should move on. Again, that's playing nice in politics, and we don't have time for that. The stakes are much higher now. And if you want to be president, you're going to have to get your hands dirty just a little bit. And it's not even dirty. It's, it's simply just politics. Hey, Roland, I don't think he will. You know, it's interesting. And, I don't and, think he'll. Oh, sorry, and, go ahead, and Mike, the reason, what Kelly, the reason what Kelly said is important is because of this. Joe Biden, this is his third time running. He's never won a state, okay? He is more likely going to win South Carolina, but he has to win South Carolina by a large number because he's been leading for quite some time. If you go after Joe Biden, and let's say he wins two, three, four points instead of five, eight, or ten, he's even a weaker candidate. He might be the one who drops out. Mm -hmm. All I'm saying is, if you're running for president, damn it, you got to run. Mike, go ahead. Absolutely. And, I, and I, going back to 94, and as you know, Roland, uh, Vice President Biden taught me in law school, so I always like to do full disclosure. But going back to 1994 
and remembering that idea of that crime bill was not created by the Clinton administration. It actually came from black urban mayors that were under incredible siege from the crack epidemic that started, as we know, in the late 80s into the 90s into urban areas. It was the mayor's ideas. Obviously, the Clinton administration pushed it. Yes, many senators, including Vice President Biden, voted for it. But it wasn't exactly like this came out of thin air from the Clinton administration. It came out of urban America. Just well, like, and, and, and just look, like opioid, just like the opioid issue, just like the opioid issue is coming from rural the re- America. The reason why you bring it up, uh, Malik, <clears throat> is also because in the last debate, Joe Biden stood on that stage and he proclaimed it was Barack Obama and I who uh, who led the effort and sent the monitors in to end stop and frisk in New York City. That was a lie. The federal judge who declared it unconstitutional did an interview and she said that simply was not the case. And so what I'm saying is if I'm Warren and I don't have the baggage of these other folks on these issues, I'm going to hit them with everything I got and force them to say, no, what you said in last debate, Vice President Joe Biden, was simply not true. That was a lie. You ain't stop, stop and frisk. Then you tell the Bloomberg, Bloomberg, you also lied. You didn't take it down 95%. You were forced to do this. All I'm saying is, if you want, if you want to show somebody that I should be the nominee, and knowing full well how people are targeting Bernie Sanders, the reality is Elizabeth Warren is the second choice of Bernie Sanders supporters. If you get to the point where the party's like, yo, this guy is way too far to the left, then actually. Warren is a safe alternative uh, when it comes to being somebody who's progressive, who doesn't call herself a socialist. And again, I think her window is very small. What I'm saying is the window hasn't closing on a night like tonight. This is when you have to stand out. I know coming from all three of you. Yeah, I, I think that you make a point about it being a good debate strategy for Elizabeth Warren to go after Joe Biden. I just I just find it hard to believe that in a you know state with such a heavy black voting population as South Carolina that that Elizabeth Warren will be able to convince a majority of those voters that somehow Barack Obama no, made the right you, choice. You're missing it. I, you're, Melek, you're missing this. Melek, you, you're missing something. The point of it is not to convince the majority of people in South Carolina. You're not just talking to South Carolina tonight. The point is you're speaking to March 3rd. Then 15 states go to vote. That's yeah. my point. You're missing it. No, okay. I, the no. last debate wasn't about Nevada. She was going to come in fourth in Nevada. What I'm saying is this here. If you're sitting here watching the moment right now and you're seeing what's going on and you're seeing people saying, okay, Bernie is cementing his status, and then you have Democrats who are saying, well, we're looking for an alternative. What I'm saying is if I am going to try to stay in this race, I got to figure out some way to hit you, 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 and you, and I'm going to use the strongest thing to hit you with, and that's why I'm saying you got to force Biden to stand on a debate stage in front of a black audience and say, I need you to address that crime bill and the after effects of it, and then exactly uh, uh, what are you going to do? I need you, Bloomberg, to say, what the hell are you going to do when it comes to repairing the PTSD of the more than 5 million people who were stopped uh, when it came to the issue of stop and frisk, and also address Central Park 5, and then Judge and force Amy. All I'm saying is, enough with the niceties. At some point, if you're going to 
going to stay on that debate stage. Damn it, you got to get your ass in the game and stop playing nice and hit your opponents with everything you got. Otherwise, you might as well go back home. I, I totally agree, again, that it's a great debate strategy for Elizabeth Warren. What I'm talking about is the effectiveness of that. I don't think that she will be able to paint him in as this person who has this really weak history on criminal justice reform because of the bill. I just think his attachment, being the vice president to the first black president of the United States, it, it, I, I, it doesn't inoculate him. I think that he deserves the criticism. I just don't, don't think that that's a convincing message so many years later with not just Biden, but with so many even members of yes, the what? CBC at the time who supported the bill. I just don't see how that becomes an effective strategy to get more people to I support what? Biden. I mean, Warren. I tell you what, I tell you what, it sure hell, it sure hell hurt uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, Kelly, and not only that, Kelly, you got the video of Elizabeth Warren fighting Joe Biden in a in a Senate hearing to come to the bankruptcy bill, and what she should do, that's what she should say. And Joe, you and I went toe to toe, and you stood with the banks against the consumers. What I'm saying is, there is a way, Kelly for Senator Elizabeth Warren to be able to go after the front runners in a way that can actually help her. And again, we know after New, after the New Hampshire debate, of the late deciders, one third went for Amy Klobuchar. We know after the Nevada debate, one third of the late deciders went to Warren. What I'm saying is, I'm looking tonight to see who is going to be the ones that stand out. I think moving forward, Buddha Judge is polling around 2% from black folks. Uh, you have Klobuchar polling at 0.5% among black folks. And so I think if you're talking about who's going to probably in a situation to drop out, look, it's three, it's four people, really. Okay? It's Steyer, Klobuchar, Buddha Judge, Warren. What I'm saying, Warren's polling better than them among African Americans. I'm saying this is where you make the move and you force Sanders, Biden, as well as Bloomberg, to deal with these issues. Kelly, then Michael. I absolutely agree with you. And one point to be made regarding debate strategy, everything that's said on that debate stage doesn't stay on the debate stage. Like you said before, what is said tonight is going to carry into the next uh, debates and, and uh, primaries, uh, specifically uh, Super Tuesday. But um, when it comes to strategy in general, you can take whatever's been said on that stage and create more media campaigns surrounding that such that it's not just going to be left on the South Carolina floor. That can be a media campaign for the rest of the states about to vote. So whatever is being said tonight is actually fodder for, you know, what's to come down the 2020 election cycle. So to Malik's point about, you know, it not being an effective strategy, I, I, I disagree because what Warren says tonight can actually help her. It can help boost her if it's played right. And that's the thing. It has to be played right in order for it to be right. And Michael, guess what stands out here? This is what I keep trying to tell people, okay? This race is not decided. It's not settled. This thing can shift. And what I'm saying is... You can be in the right position at the right time, but if you never take your shot, you're not going to have a shot. Absolutely not. I think you're exactly right, Roland. And, and too bad you're not one of the moderators tonight, because you would have been perfect. <laughs> um, but, you know, Senator Sanders... I'm way, I'm way too black for these mainstream <laughs> networks. Um, Senator Sanders... You see what I got on? I, I see you, I see you, I see you, Dashiki. And I, um, 
It's you know, very nice. Yes, yeah, so you look very nice in it, as, as Kelly said. All right, so Senator Sanders' base is very similar to Trump, Trump's base. He has it. They're not going anywhere. The only chance you can peel off any is maybe Warren. They're not going to Biden. They're not going to Bloomberg. Maybe at the end of the day, obviously, if he's not the nominee. But in the meantime, Warren, so it's, it's the, techni the technicians have to go in different directions. I think Warren has to go after Sanders. I mean, yes, she can maybe take a swipe at Biden if she wants to, but that's her problem. Her problem aren't those moderates. Her problem is Bernie. Yep. Yep. So she has, so, and then different people yep. have to go after different people. The moderate folks have to go up. Like I know Joe is Mr. Oh, I'm, Mr. I'm Uncle Joe and nice guy. He hasn't really gone after the moderates very hard because he has to get them out of the way. The only way he has a chance yep. to deal with Sanders. So, different. So it's different angles and different. I don't know anybody. Need, I don't know if. Um, Biden needs to waste time taking a swipe at Bernie. He needs to deal with taking swipes at those other moderates. Everyone has a different place to go. Yep, I agree. Gotta go to a break, folks. When we come back, we'll talk to a sister who is trying to unseat a Republican in North Carolina. That's next on Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from Charleston, South Carolina, site of tonight's Democratic National Debate. Back in a moment. To me, there are no greater patriots in America's long history than the black citizens who are willing to die for a nation that was denying them their rights. Mike Bloomberg is the only Democratic presidential candidate that has a real plan to fight for those sacrifices that have been taken for granted for far too long. And I've got to think it was in hopes that their service and sacrifice might redeem those rights for their children and grandchildren. Introducing the Greenwood Initiative, a bold new plan to help black Americans create generational wealth. One, we will help a million more black families buy a house. Two, we will double the number of black owned businesses. Three, we will help black families triple their wealth over the next 10 years to an all time high. Mike will get it done. Visit MikeForBlackAmerica.com to learn more. They are concrete proposals that we can afford and that we can get done, and we will. I'm Mike Bloomberg, and I approve this message. Paid for by Mike Bloomberg 2020. Go check out Roland Martin Unfiltered, youtube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. So a lot of y'all always asking me about terms, some of the pocket squares that I wear. Now, I don't know. Robert don't have one on. Nope. Now, I don't particularly like the white pocket squares. I don't like even the silk ones. And so I was reading GQ magazine a number of years ago, and I saw uh, this guy who had this, this pocket square here, and it looks like a flower. Uh, this is called a shibori pocket square. This is how the Japanese manipulate the fabric to create this sort of flower effect. So I'm going to take it out and then place it in my hand so you see what it looks like. And I 
I said, man, this is pretty cool. And so I tracked down, a, it took me a year to find a company that did it. Uh, and so uh, they basically about 47 different colors. And so I love them because, again, as men, we don't have many accessories to wear. So we don't have many options. Uh, and so this is really a pretty cool uh, pocket screen. And what I love about this here is you saw uh, when it's uh, in, in the pocket, you know, it gives you that flower effect like that. But if I wanted to also, unlike other, because if I flip it and turn it over, it actually gives me a different type of texture. And so therefore it gives me a different look. So there you go. So uh, if you actually want to uh, get one of these Shibori pocket squares, we have them in 47 different colors. All you got to do is go to rollingthismartin.com forward slash pocket squares. So it's rollingthismartin.com forward slash pocket squares. All you got to do is go to my website uh, and you can actually uh, get this. Now, for those of you who are members of our Bring the Funk fan club, there's a discount for you to get our pocket squares. That's why you also got to be a part of our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, and so that's what we want you to do. And so it's pretty cool. So if you want to jazz your look up, you can do that. In addition, uh, y'all see me with some of the feather pocket squares. My sister who's a designer. She actually makes these. They're all custom made. So when you also go to the website, you can also order one of the customized uh, feather pocket squares uh, right there at rollingsmartin.com forward slash pocket squares. So please do so. And of course, uh, it goes to support the show. And again, if you're a Bring the Funk fan club member, you get a discount. This is why you should join the fan club. All right, folks, in North Carolina, federal judges have, uh, of course, changed the shape of the districts there, uh, giving Democrats a shot to potentially sna snatch some of the Republican seats in Congress uh, from the GOP. Of course, Republican uh, Congressman George Holding, uh, he is the incumbent. Uh, he is being targeted uh, by several Democrats in, 19, uh, 20, in the last election, 2018. He lost by six points to Linda Coleman. Democrats think they could have a pickup there. Uh, one of the folks who was running against him, uh, of course, is my next guest. Uh, uh, she is, um, first of all, her name is uh, Monica. Uh, she joins us. Uh, she First of all, she is a um, school board member, executive director uh, of North Carolina Coalition Against uh, Sexual Assault, and has spent 20 years advocating for thousands of women and children. And again, uh, she joins us right now. Monica, how you doing? I'm well. Thank you for having me. All right, let's talk about this race here. Democrats think that they can pick up seats held by Republicans. And so why do you think you can beat Holding? Um, so as you mentioned, Linda Coleman came as close as a Democrat has. And I do believe that's because in our district, like many districts in North Carolina, black women voters are super voters. And I think she broke down many barriers in 2018. And so when I was recruited, that was one of the major factors for me is believing that she set the tone for me to move forward to really continue to make sure our super voters and our low propensity voters actually had a reason to show up to the polls. And so, uh, obviously, of course, all that hard work going through the court system uh, now reshapes these districts. And so, uh, how, first of all, how is it looking right now uh, leading up to the primary, of course, as opposed to the general? Um, so, so right now, we actually haven't had any polls run 
Um, so we don't actually know statistically where we are, but what I will say is uh, the fact that this is an open seat and a seat that we have great likelihood of getting after the primary, because it, as you mentioned, the gerrymander, gerrymandering has happened, so this di district is pretty blue. We feel very excited and really feel like the possibility is mine and the real pathway forward is making sure we have pe give people a reason to get out to vote. And very similarly to what you're talking about, I would say one of the only disconcerting things we've heard is many people in North Carolina aren't showing up as much as they usually do for early voting because people are waiting to see what happens in South Carolina at the top of the ballot. Uh, and obviously, uh, of course, we're, we're heading into, uh, you know, Super Tuesday is only four days after uh, South Carolina primary. Uh, and so, again, there's still very much an unsettled race here. Mm -hmm. Very much so. And so I think what you're going to see is more people are going to are not going to early vote and will be voting on Super Tuesday. Um, again, very similar to South Carolina, although we like to say we're different in North Carolina. We are still holding true to um, many of the older African-Americans really were very strong Biden fans. And I think they really want to see what happens to him in South Carolina. So for me, that means our numbers are not upticking as we'd like them to for Democrat and unaffiliated voters showing up for early voting, I think we're going to see a surge on Super Tuesday. What are the issues that you are focused on uh, to appeal to Democrats um, to turn them out uh, in this uh, primary? So one of the things about Wake County is we're the fastest growing community um, county. Uh, we're the 15th largest school district in the country. And we're noted in many magazines as the best place to work, live and play. And one of the things is ensuring that every single person in this district has the same ability to be successful and thrive. And so we're talking about what does economics look like outside of the tech field, pharmaceutical field, but how do we really build new green jobs here? And I think that's what people are wanting us to talk about. The second piece, of course, is healthcare. Without a shadow of a doubt, we're in the South. We've seen a lot of our hospitals close um, or buyouts. And so people really care about the accessibility to healthcare in addition to healthcare coverage. All right, uh, Monica Johnson Holster, we surely appreciate it. Good luck. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, got to go to a break. We'll be back on Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from Charleston, South Carolina, site of tonight's Democratic National Debate. Back in a moment. Mike Bloomberg is the only Democratic presidential candidate that has a real plan for black youth in education. It's called the Greenwood Initiative. We'll make public college tuition free for all low-income students. We'll forgive college loans for students who were exploited by failed for-profit colleges. Mike knows investing in our teachers is investing in our children. We'll also recruit more black and Latino teachers as we did in New York City because studies show they can make all the difference and we'll also invest much more in heavily historically black colleges and universities because many of the HBCUs are struggling. And the first step to achieving generational wealth is taken in the classroom. We'll incentivize state and localities to create financial literacy classes. Mike will get it done. Visit MikeForBlackAmerica.com to learn more. They're concrete proposals that we can afford and that we can get done, and we will. I'm Mike Bloomberg, and I approve this message. Paid for by Mike Bloomberg 2020. 
You want to support Roller March Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Well, good day, everyone. I am Erica Savage Wilson, the host and founder of Savage Politics. And I want to share with you one of the most laudable figures for me in black history, none other than the incomparable Miss Fannie Lou Hamer. Miss Fannie Lou Hamer hails out of Ruleville, Mississippi, and at the age of 44 years old, attended a voters' workshop and got involved in the movement through SNCC. Just two years later, Miss Th- Hamer, along with other ecstatic people excited about voters' rights, went to a workshop in South Carolina. On their way back from South Carolina, June 9, 1963, they were accosted by white state patrol officers. What ensued later had me weeping angrily as I listened to the audio of Miss Hamer recounting her beating, a ruthless, merciless beating by two jailers and a white state patrol officer. Fast forward to one year later. Miss Hamer, having endured trauma to her kidney, to her eyes, and to her legs, gave riveting testimony at the Democratic National Convention before the Credentials Committee on August in 1964. At that convention, Ms. Hamer spoke with such conviction that even the impotent attempt by then-President Lyndon B. Johnson to hail a press conference to try to move away attention from what Ms. Hamer was saying about two very important things, voters' rights and the state-sanctioned abuse that she endured could not be thwarted. Ms. Fannie Lou Hamer died in 1977. But her legacy, her power, her connection lives forward. So I say this to you and offer something that Ralph Ellison said around, there are few things in the world as dangerous as sleepwalkers. Black America, wake up and welcome to your new eras of civil rights. shocking video on social media today of a young black girl, six years old, who threw a temper tantrum in the classroom, ends up being arrested by cops, put in a patrol car, and fingerprinted. Look at this shameful, despicable video. Let's go. Your grandma can come pick you up, okay? Oh, oh, I was in school. I just saw you. Right. Come on, let's go. Okay, come on. You can tell me what happened in the car, okay? 
Watching this video, y'all took. Was that cop black? He looked like he was. Well, wait. Are you talking about who the is first... that? Who is? Are you talking the about cop the cop who was sitting here walking? Well, the his... cop who was walking, who's hand... the cop who was handcuffing her, and put her in the car. Well, the one, the name said Ramos, so possibly, but that sounds like a Latinx name, so I'm not sure. The person all filming I know, all I know definitely is he, was. I, I don't give a damn. That's a punk-ass cop who should have enough damn sense to say, I'm not going to sit here in a handcuff a damn six-year-old girl because she threw a temper tantrum in the classroom. That's some straight bullshit. Well, first, who called the police? Right. I mean, the teacher, the principal? Who called the police in the first place? Yeah, and you know what, Roland, I, because we... See, did, did, no, no, this is, this is the bullshit happening in these schools where you got these punk-ass teachers and principals who don't know how to handle a situation. A kid who's six throws a temper tantrum. You don't call the goddamn cops... Yeah, and we... we to handcuff yeah. her? To handcuff her. To put her in the back of a police car. To fingerprint her. This is a traumatic experience for a six-year-old girl. Yeah, I, I couldn't even finish watching that. Yeah. But we've had these we've had these conversations before, and I would not be surprised is that they were following a protocol. They were, you know, we don't. Of course, I don't agree with it, but they were following a protocol, and it reminds me of the conversation we were just having either this past week or the prior one, where the student, it was a, she was. Um, admitted into to a psych uh, ward. Yeah, to, to a psych ward because that's what the policy said that they could do. And I, I imagine that this is another um, example of that. Ridiculous. It's egregious. That, I mean, it's just... And, and to hear the child crying, of course, it just rips at your heart. But there needs to be a policy change. And I, I would not be surprised if they were just following whatever the protocol was. And we do know, even if me, the... No, 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 no. Hell no, no, no. Hell no, no, no. Hell no. And I'm... Look, for y'all who keep hitting me saying don't cuss, let me be real clear. Fuck that. Oh, If gosh. I'm a cop... I'm going to sit here and say I am not going to handcuff a six-year-old child and have her fingerprinted. If I'm that cop, I'm saying I'm not doing it. No, not doing it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally... Not six, six years old. Yeah, I, six years old. I, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, but no. I think that's probably the pro I, it's probably protocol, and the officer going there probably knew no. that that's something that they could do. I don't agree with it, so let's be clear about that. Not it's not something that I agree with, but that's probably the protocol down there for Hell, whatever crazy reason. I don't reason. care. I don't care, Michael. I'm not doing it. Uh, right, right, Roland. It's absolutely absurd. When the police officer got to the school, he said he should say to the 
principal or teacher, whoever, I'm not dealing with this. You guys deal with this. Mm -hmm. The officer, I don't care what the protocol, what it says, there's nothing in any bylaw that says you handcuff a six-year-old child and bring him down to process them. That can't be protocol. The protocol is the cop sometimes has to use his own or her own judgment and say, you know what, principal or madam teacher or Mr. Teacher, I'm not doing this. You all need to figure this out. I have other stuff I need to do. Kelly, this crap, and, and see, I can... What makes this so sickening is here you are, a child six, and she's begging you? That girl, that memory ain't going away of being in the back of a police car, of being handcuffed. And I know people who are saying, hey, teach your children better. Look, I have been in many schools. I have seen little-ass white boys and little-ass white girls throw temper tantrums, Latino, black, whatever. A six-year-old kid, that's what some do. They throw temper tantrums. But you don't call the damn cops. What you do is you sit their ass in a room by themselves and say, sit here and yell and scream and act a fool. But guess what? We ain't dealing with you. That's what you do. You put them in a room. You stick them in an office. You don't call the cops. No, you don't call the cops. And it's just hard for me to put my anger into words right now because I have seen firsthand situations like this and it doesn't make it any easier. There is absolutely no excuse for this. Like, I'm taking that entire video into consideration. Like, I'm hearing the police officer put zip ties on a six-year-old. I'm hearing the child scream at the top of her lungs, give me a second chance, as if she didn't... Um, need a first one. You know what I mean? Like, this... She's a child. She doesn't know how to reconcile hard situations yet. She's six years old. She doesn't know anything other than just sad, just happy, just angry, just hungry. Why? Because she's a child. And you have adults there who know this about children, who still took it upon themselves to put a child into a system that they don't even belong in. Not even, I'm not even going to say don't belong in yet. Don't belong in, period. There was no excuse for this whatsoever. There are plenty of tactics. Outside of putting the child in the room, there are plenty of tactics to mitigate a situation, to mediate a situation, to calm a child down. And I understand how teachers don't want to be liable for putting their hands on children or whatever, but now you're liable for a six-year-old going to jail. So I would much rather have liability on me for literally picking up a child and putting them somewhere than having on my conscience calling the police on a six-year-old because a six-year-old did what a six-year-old does. This is absurd. This... I, I would... I would hope... I would hope there would be an unleashing of protest against the police department, against the school, against the principal, against the school district, and whatever needs to be done, if this is policy, change it, because here's the deal. I cannot recall seeing a video of a six-year-old white kid being handcuffed and, and put in the back of a police car and fingerprinted. I'm sorry, show me the video. Show me the body cam video of that happening. Show me the video of that happening.
Yeah, we're rolling. Yeah, I and want I, to see that. Yeah, ju just to say um, quickly, you know, I, I think that it probably has something to do with where that is. I can't remember where the student was taken to the mental facility. I can't remember Florida. where. Florida. Well, well, yeah, we go into Florida. No, 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 no. That, that, no, no. That's a separate case. <laughs> no, but I'm saying this these. No, this is a. Yeah, but but my point is, no, is that that's a separate. No, 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 no. That's a separate case from this one. I'm speaking specifically of this one. Yeah, but my point is, is that these type of policies are in place. I, I totally agree with everyone that this is ridiculous that a six-year-old would actually be handcuffed at all. But I, I compare. No, 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 Melik, no, Melik, Melik. The case you're mentioning that we discussed last week, that's a state law that allows that. I don't know that there's a state law in Florida that says if a child throws a temper tantrum, you are to call the cops. Yeah. And then that child is to be arrested and fingerprinted. Yeah, well, I'm not arguing in favor of it. Like, I agree with everyone that it's ridiculous. What I'm saying no, is that... No, what I'm saying is, do you know for a fact it's a policy? You keep saying it's policy. Do you know for a fact that this is the protocol? I, I have. I've, I've never said that. I've never actually said that it was policy. What I've said that it's very well that it could be policy if they if they have the reason. Well, well, if they have the reason, whoever the again, person that policy, was but Melik, policy and law are two separate things. Right, but again, Roland, if, <laughs> if, if 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 there's a law that mandates this being okay, we get that. A policy can actually be ignored, as Michael said. Yeah, but if you're but, a cop, you don't have to follow policy. Sure, but but we're talking about discretion at this point. Again, just to make it clear, I think that it's ridiculous that an, an officer had to be called to the school. I compare it to why well, I, I don't compare it. I volunteer at a, a private school, a private school for boys here in in D.C. Well, they actually have so that it would not have happened at that school if for no other reason, that they actually have an on-site therapist who's there every single day. So when the kids, when there's some type of behavioral issue, they literally go to a room where, it, and it's a, I mean, it's literally a sofa in there. So they, it would not have happened there. I don't want to give the impression that I agree with it at all. What I'm saying is that even though we're talking about discretion, it's probably something that's written in policy anywhere. As ridiculous as it is, it's probably something that's written in policy somewhere. This is the fundamental problem when you talk about a school-to-prison pipeline. This is a perfect example of what we're talking about, of a school-to-prison pipeline. And unfortunately, Florida is one of the leading <laughs> states when it comes to this kind of shameful bullshit happening in this country. Mike Bloomberg is the only Democratic presidential candidate who understands that wealth creation and the current racial wealth gap is linked to past racism and has a plan to address the impact on black America. The crimes against black Americans still echo across the centuries, and no single law can wipe out that slate clean. The time has come, I think, to fully commit ourselves to acknowledging our history and righting our country's wrongs, and that's exactly what I will do as president. It's called the Greenwood Initiative. One, we will help a million more black families buy a house. Two, we will double the number of black-owned businesses. Three, we will help black families triple their wealth over the next 10 years to an all-time high. Mike will get it done. Visit MikeForBlackAmerica.com to learn more. There are concrete proposals that we can afford and that we can get done, and we will. I'm Mike Bloomberg, and I approve this message. Paid for by Mike Bloomberg 2020.
All right, folks, uh, the coronavirus is actually uh, spreading all across the world. Donald Trump's administration has come under withering attack because Trump has reportedly said that, well, actually, he said that, hey, this thing is going to work itself out uh, and has told his folks don't go overboard because he doesn't want his affecting the economy and his re-election chances. But on Capitol Hill, Congressman, excuse me, Republican Senator uh, Kennedy out of uh, Louisiana was not having it when it came to the Director of Homeland Security, who was not answering questions when it came to how they are working to combat the coronavirus. Watch this. How many cases of coronavirus do we have right now in the United States? Well, we have uh, 14 cases plus an additional, um, I believe it's 20 or 30 some odd cases that we uh, have uh, repatriated back into the U.S. from uh, a number of cruise ships. And how many are you anticipating? Again, uh, we're working with HHS uh, to, to determine that. How many are you anticipate? We do anticipate the number will grow. I don't, I don't have an exact figure for you, though. Do you have an estimate? Is someone, is someone modeling that? Do you have any way of guessing? Uh, again, HHS, through their medical professionals. Well, yes, are... sir, but you're head of Homeland Security, yes, sir. and your job is to keep us safe. Yes, sir. Do you know today how many uh, the experts are predicting? Uh, only, uh, we only know that, again, we anticipate those numbers to grow in the U.S. That's why we're making sure that our operations, again, at our airports, land ports, and elsewhere are but, flexible. But you can't tell us how many your models are anticipating. Uh, no, Senator. Again, I would, I would defer you to the uh, Health and Human Services for that. Okay. Don't you think you ought to check on that? We will. As the head of Homeland Security? Absolutely. And again, we have task force members that are working this on every I'm, day. I'm, I'm all for committees and task forces. So we're coordinating with them but, to make sure that our operations... You're the secretary. I think you ought to know that answer. I understand that. Um, how, is, how is the coronavirus, tra coronavirus transmitted? Uh, through a, a variety of ways, um, obviously human to human, we've seen that. Uh, and again, we're making sure that those procedures as they come into the U.S. are medically screened so that we can identify those. How folks. is it transmitted? A variety of different ways, Senator. Tell me what they are, please. Again, human to human uh, is what we've well, primarily human seen. Human to human, how? Uh, being in the same vicinity. Uh, physical contact is usually uh, what we've seen from the medical cases that we've seen here in the U.S. Uh, we've had uh, several, I think, two to three human-to-human uh, -human cases that have showed up here in the U.S. So it's those that are closest to those individuals uh, that have that human contact. Um, what's the mortality rate so far nationwide I, I believe it, worldwide? Worldwide, I believe it's under 2%. How, how much under 2%? I'll get you an exact figure. I'll, I'll check with CDC on they're monitoring uh, the worldwide mortality rate, and I will I can get that for you. But you don't know the mortality rate today. It, it changes daily, Senator. Well, I understand that. Given What's about the it, average since we discovered the virus? Again, I, it's under two percent. It was as high as it, three. Numbers were recalculated based on reporting is from it China. Between it's one not. and a half and two. It's between one and a half and two percent. Okay, what's the mortality rate for influenza over the last, say, ten years in America? Uh, it's also uh, right around that percentage as well. I don't have that offhand, but it's uh, sure right around two percent as well. You sure of that? It's a little bit, yes, sir. Okay. Um, do we have enough respirators? To my knowledge, we do. I'm focused on making sure that our operators at, at DHS make sure that they have the protective equipment. I know HHS, uh, as part of the supplemental, well, I... Well, we I, just heard testimony that we don't. 
testimony from? And a briefing. Okay. So your head of Homeland Security. For medical professionals or for, for sorry, your I don't understand the head of Homeland Security, do we have enough respirators or not? For patients, I, I don't understand the question. For everybody, every American who needs one who gets the disease. Uh, again, I would refer you to HHS on that. Mr. Secretary, my you're, budget you're, supports, you're, you're supposed to keep us safe. My budget supports the men and women you're of the, the Department Secretary of Homeland Security. You're the Secretary of Homeland Security. Yes, sir. And you can't tell me if we have enough respirators. What I would tell you is that the budget, my budget, our operations are focused not only on the men and women of DHS, making sure they're protected to do their jobs, to screen individuals coming in. We're working with HHS, CDC, and their budget the to ensure that they have enough medical do equipment. Do we have enough face masks? We, uh, for the Department of Homeland Security, we I'm do. I'm not asking for the Department of Homeland Security. Are you looking? I'm asking for the American people. For the, for the entire American public? Yes. No, I would say probably not. Okay, how short are we? I, I don't have that number offhand, Senator. I will get that for you. Okay. But but I want to be sure I understand. You, somebody. Yes, sir. Is doing modeling. Yes, sir. On how many cases we're anticipating. You're yes, sir. You're just not aware of that. You're asking me a number of medical questions that I'm asking CDC you questions and HHS because you're Secretary of are the Department on. of Homeland Security. And you're supposed to keep us safe. Yes, sir. And you need to know the answers to these questions. And. How far away are we from getting a vaccine? In several months. Well, that's not what we just heard testimony about. Okay. Who's on first here? HHS is What's the on federal second? agency for the coronavirus response. You, you're telling me we're months away. That's your testimony as, chair, as Secretary of Homeland Security. What I have been told by HHS and CDC, yes. And you, have you probed that to make sure that's accurate? Yes. We continue uh, every day. We have task force meetings with those individuals and elsewhere talking about a number of these. Well, your issues. numbers aren't the same as CDC's. Then I would I would certainly defer to CDC on our medical questions. Well, don't you think you ought to contact them and find out whether you're right or we're they're in, right? We're in contact with them every day on this on our task force. But you don't know why you have a discrepancy. I would refer you to the CDC Mr. on specific Mr. questions. Secretary, I'm going to hush here. You're, you're supposed to keep us safe, and the American people Senator, deserve some straight answers on the coronavirus. And Senator, I'm not I, getting them from you. I, I disagree. That's all I have, Madam Chair. Woo, Michael, uh, Republican Senator Kennedy was not too happy. Uh, I would think that the, the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security might want to be able to have those answers uh, because this thing could spread real fast. Yeah, he, he obviously needs to tighten up his, his, his responses. There's no question about that. But I also think, Roland, as you know, I think there's some politics being played to by Senator Kennedy. He is a staunch supporter of 45. So I think he wants to show that he can be tough on the administration. And this is an easy issue to be tough on the administration on related to health. 45, 45, 45 has already made some crazy statement that once it gets warm, it'll be better and everything will be fine. That's not what the coronavirus is all about. So I think there are a lot of different things playing on this. But I'm glad he questioned them. I'm glad he's pushing them to the wall. He should have the answers to the questions. Maybe they should have a different kind of panel up there. It seems to me they should also have the CDC head next to him. They should have HHS there as well. He, he's not capable of answering these kind of questions, whether he thinks he should or not.
No, uh, well, actually, here's why I'll push back on that, Kelly. The reality is this here. Senator Kennedy was tough on one of uh, several of uh, Trump's judicial nominees, and one of them, who was so dumb he couldn't answer questions, actually pulled out. And so even though he's a staunch Trump supporter, I mean, bottom line is, if I'm a senator, even if you're a Republican, you care about whether or not America is going to die because of the coronavirus. Sure. And his questions were valid. I just don't think those were, that was the specific person to ask questions to. I mean, you have a Surgeon General, you got heads of CDC, you have people who are actually working to try and solve this matter every single day, as opposed to being the acting Secretary of Homeland Security. So I don't even know how long he's been there, you know, because it still says acting. Well, for, 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 hold, hold, hold up. For, okay, first of all, you got to remember, Donald Trump is afraid of any of his people getting confirmed by the Senate, and so there's a whole bunch of acting people all around and, the administration. And that's a fair point, but the, map, the fact of the matter remains, if <clears throat> he has the same type of track record as the rest of the secretaries, he might not even be all that well-versed in this issue anyway, anyhow, regardless if it was coronavirus or not. Um, just as a caveat, I wish people would stop calling it the coronavirus because the coronavirus is a general term. This actually has a specific uh, strain of coronavirus because in all actuality, the common cold is also a coronavirus. So right now, if you really think about it, what's happening right now is the common cold that, you know, you just can't kick. That is actually truly deadly. That has no treatment for it. So that was that's, that's just a caveat there. Okay, but again, so what... So what's so what's the name so what's the name of the strain? Uh, P P C something so, so, something. So what do we call it? Let me let me check. Well, that's why ain't nobody that's why ain't nobody calling that killing you. P P something something. They ain't calling it that. Covoy dash nineteen is the official name for this. That's virus. why. That's why they not calling it. You're not walking around going. Oh, what's it? Cobalt? Co who? Covoy dash nineteen. Co who? <laughs> Don't play me. <laughs> no, I'm saying you like co co roll co something Co-boy dash nineteen. Dash 19. Uh, it's, it's 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 a good bet. Kelly not gonna call it that. That's why they going with coronavirus. The reason I'm just saying. I mean, but the more you say it, the more people will actually say it. So instead of just going for the easy route no, of saying actually, something general, actually they not. Okay. Yeah, so. No, it's a good bet they're not. I'm just saying, I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, you actually don't call something by a technical name. You do want to call something that way it's easier for folks to actually remember. Melek, bottom line is this here. Donald Trump has been way too flippant about this here. Uh, he better take this thing seriously because it could reach a pandemic real quick. Yeah, so two things. I, I think that the, I, I agree with Michael and Kelly, they, they actually should have had the secretary of HHS or the director of CDC there to really answer those more detailed questions. Whatever information that the senator got in a briefing, it's not guaranteed that the head of Homeland Security would have been privy to whatever information that he actually shared. Actually, actually, uh, no, actually you're wrong because this Homeland Security actually said in that six-minute clip that he was he's a part of the group that's actually sharing them information, so he would know. Oh well, well, I mean, I didn't, I didn't hear that part. But the second part that well, I want—that's wanted... what he said. Okay. No, he he actually said it. Okay. Well, the second part to what I'm to my my point here is that 
This is something that really happens in every administration. I think it was probably back in 2014, Obama was roundly criticized for his response to the Ebola crisis. If you remember, I think it was, there was, a, you know, there, there were talks that, you know, this was under wraps, but then there was a case where a nurse was treating a, a Liberian patient in Dallas, I believe. And so the administration got a lot of criticism for that. The administration itself admitted that it had been slow to respond to it. So I do know that this is something that happens before no, administrations are... No, 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 no. Hell no, 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 no. What, what are you, you saying? You had one nurse in Dallas. No, no, no. You had one nurse in Dallas. You just had 14 people with the coronavirus who were flown on a plane back into the United States, uh, and the other passengers had no idea, and then it was the State Department that overruled the Centers for Disease Control. Uh, no, there's no, there's no. no comparison to that. And if and hold up, I'm not done. And the and then the Ebola outbreak did not hit multiple countries. Mm -hmm. We are at the point right now that they're saying they may only have three months to determine whether to, whether the Tokyo Olympics will actually take place this right. summer. <laughs> this thing is this thing unlike Ebola. This thing is impacting multiple countries very quickly. And so this so that this is a much different situation than that. Yeah, well, I, I, I don't necessarily, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the mass effect of it, you know, yeah, that may be different. What I'm talking about is how we criticize the federal government's response to these type of crises. And the Obama administration was criticized roundly for their response to the Ebola crisis. It didn't mean that the Obama administration was not actually doing things to, you know, inform the public, but the Obama administration itself acknowledged that it was slow to respond. So my point is just saying that when it comes to these type of issues, the federal government generally is blamed for it. I, I don't think that, you know, for as far as the um, President Trump is concerned, I'm pretty sure that he was told that he can't go out there and create a crisis. If you actually look at what happened today when the CDC released their uh, state, when the CDC released I'm their... Well, when, when the CDC I mean, actually the released same, a this, statement, this, this is the same guy used. This is the same guy used a sharpie talking about a hurricane's going to hit Alabama, <laughs> and the National Weather Service uh, had to change their whole deal because they didn't want to get criticized. He, he's known to say stuff without checking with anybody, Mellick. Well, sure, but but in this case, I have to give him credit for not for not driving. The, 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 the fear about it, because if you actually look at what he said, you know, he essentially said, you know, hey, everything is going to be okay. Now, we know that as far as administration is concerned, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to say, well, everyone should be concerned that there is a panic, because those are things that really do create panic. What I was saying about the CDC, when they released their statement, when, they, when the CDC released their statement today, the market tanked. And so those are things that presidents really are concerned about. About, whether it's Donald Trump or any other president, those are things that they take into consideration uh, Melek, and how they respond Melek, to these Melek, type of the, crises. Melek. Miller, the market tanked yesterday and no statement was released because the coronavirus, or I'm sorry, Kobo, Coho, Dash 19, <laughs> Kelly, uh, it, this thing is uh, actually a, a global issue. And so it goes beyond just the U.S. Bomb line is this here. The questions Senator Kennedy is asking are critically important issues because if this thing spreads and it spreads quickly, you do want to be able to know how many breathing machines, how many masks, as he said, how are you gaming this out? And the reality is, as, a sec as an acting secretary of the uh, uh, Department of Homeland Security, this also 
Homeland Security is called securing the homeland. It's not just a military issue because you also have to deal with chemical or biological warfare as well. So we'll certainly see uh, what happens. But I appreciate Senator Kenny. I don't care if he's a Republican, uh, asking those questions because they need to be answered. All right, folks, we're here in Charleston, South Carolina. As you see behind me, um, you see behind me, of course, uh, you see uh, the lights beyond us, uh, Gilead uh, Center, uh, where the debate is taking place. We're out here. you got protesters who are over here. You hear them playing music and things along those lines. Uh, and so you have all the media here. And so when you go into that center, uh, as you get closer, that's where the debate is taking place. It's going to be at 8 p.m. Eastern, so taking place about an hour and 15 minutes, airing on CBS, simulcast on VET. Among those who are going to be asking questions, uh, there'll be five moderators, including Gail King, as well as Bill Whitaker. So five, five of the five people moderating, two are African-American. All the whole time we've been here, we've seen uh, digital signs for Tom Steyer uh, coming by here, uh, just passing lights. All the folks who are here uh, and the cameras are here. And so you see all the media stands there as well. And so uh, it's going to be uh, a big night. The debate, last debate, folks, it was on NBC. 20 million people watched that debate and millions more uh, streamed it as well. And so lots of anticipation. This is the first time this debate, of course, uh, taking place in a state where African-American voters have significant uh, number of the votes. Upwards of 60% of the people voting in South Carolina will be African-American. Voting is taking place on this Saturday. And so this is a crucial debate. And also, of course, the debate is Saturday. Then you got Super Tuesday next Tuesday. I want to thank our panel for being there. I got to go because we got to go inside and get ready for the debate. We're certainly going to have uh, coverage on this tomorrow. We'll be broadcasting tomorrow from Charleston, South Carolina as well. Don't forget if you want to support Roller Martin Unfiltered, please go to rollermartinunfiltered.com. Join our Bring the Funk fan club. Your dollars make it possible for us to be able to broadcast uh, on location, remote, uh, from places like this. This is why it matters for you to support what we do, to remain an independent media source and speaking to our issues and our concerns as well. All right, folks, I'm going to see you guys tomorrow. We'll talk about the debate. I want to see your comments on social media as well. Be sure to join our, our YouTube channel, subscribe to it, uh, and also click your notif turn your notifications on on Periscope, Facebook, and YouTube. So anytime we go live, you're notified when we go live. All right, folks, I got to go. Holler! From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Oh. 
open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This message comes from Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com.